Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Hey, how many of you uh, this week belong to the community of the creeping crud? Anybody with me? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm there. There's a, there are a lot of us out there these days, and so they'll be hacking and sniffling and snotting and wiping, and so just get used to it. It'll all be good. Hey, uh, some of you that are guesting with us maybe for the first time uh, may not be used to the guy, you know, doing this on on stage in a t-shirt. I don't do it very often, but um, I just want to, I'm wearing this t-shirt, this is a blood drop, to remind you that next week is our blood drive. And something we do twice a year, uh, we support the work of the Red Cross to help save lives because uh, we believe that, that there is something called sanctity of life and we're going to spend a lot of time thinking about that clearly today, I hope. Um, so uh, one of the great ways that you can partner in declaring that is through giving some of your own uh, back. And uh, there are a lot of folks in our church who have been recipients of blood transfusions over the years that have been life-saving and life-changing for them. And so we want to continue to celebrate life that way. And you can go down either to B or C hallway on your way out, stop by the, the ministry uh, room there, the mission room, and, and get signed up. And there's still some, some spaces open, I understand. Um, if, uh, if this passes, my plan is to give again. And uh, so you'll see me on a table, hopefully. Uh, that's where I want to be. Um, also, uh, last Sunday night, uh, I need to kind of report something back to you. Last Sunday morning, if you weren't here, we did kind of a state of the church address uh, that came out of a study that we did, um, really surveying our community here, and by community, I mean our church, and God really spoke to our leadership out of that. And we shared what we had seen uh, from the Lord on that, and then we invited uh, you back, the whole church back, to come out and help us dig a little deeper in this to, to, to move some of these things forward. Uh, we, we, we saw from the, the survey there were a lot of great things that God had infused into the congregation known as River Bluff. Um, your capacity to get our mission and our purpose was off the charts and uh, the work and the, how you perceive our church and our community is awesome. But we also came across some opportunities for 2019 that God's calling us into to strengthen some things, mostly internal mechanisms, things like how we connect to one another, uh, things like how we worship God engagingly, uh, how do we help people find ministry that's meaningful and purposeful and fruitful really quickly. And so we're ramping those up along with uh, helping our church get better at sharing Jesus out in the world. And so if any of those four kind of struck you as, I got a passion for that, but you weren't able to be here last Sunday night, uh, God brought 120 people back who said, I want in. I want to help. Yeah, it was, praise God. It was a, it was, I thank God for you guys who did that. And it was, it was the, the, the way that I described it was this, that, that night was kind of like the spark, the match that I believe kind of started a flame that we're going to get to see burn brightly in the days ahead. And, and it's not too late for you to be a part of it. So if you think I want to help connection get richer around here, I want to, I want worship to be more passionate and engaging. I want to help people really find ministry that they can connect to. Um, and I, I, I want to help us learn to share Jesus 
that's better out there. Any of those four, you just write on a connection card. You can just write the letter TC and then that word connect or, or, or worship or ministry or share. And we'll give us your information. We'll get you connected to the leader of that focus group. Um, and Because we, we, we want more people engaged in, in this movement that, that God has begun. Um, so plan to, plan to do that um, as well. Uh, one last thing that I need to address <clears throat> is this. There is a misnomer in our culture today that is being perpetrated by the United States government. And that is this. There are people who are non-essential. I didn't get any of y'all, did I? Um, I don't know where they came up with that language that there are people who are non-essential. I get that they've got to create some labels for this to make sense to them somehow. But since you're in the room today, if you find yourselves negatively impacted uh, by, because of the government shutdown and your, your check, your livelihood has been cut off, the first thing we want you to hear us say is we think you're essential. You're not non-essential. Okay? You matter. Uh, you matter to God. You matter to us. And so, here's what we want to do. If you find yourself in that circumstance, we want to know you by name to pray for you at least. But we want to do more than that. We want to help. Because we know this is going to be financially strapping for you. Um, we have some emergency funds that we think we can help with. And so uh, our deacons administrate that. And we'll, we'll help you if you need that help. But we, at least we want to pray. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you find yourself, if you're in the Coast Guard, if you're, you're in one of these other uh, uh, areas of the government and your, your income has been cut off from you right now, we want to help. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is write your name and contact information on a card and just let us know somewhere on there that, you know, you're, you're part of this shutdown. You're, you've been impacted by the shutdown this way. Your salary's been impeded there. Um, but also, we need the other side of this. We, we need help supporting these families both in and outside of our church. So here's what I'm going to... Right now, one of our pastoral staff, uh, Guy Smith, is off campus. He's on assignment at uh, the chapel in Goose Creek um, where... I, and I got permission if you're in the Coast Guard. If you're in the Coast Guard, raise your hand. Do we have any, any Coast Guardians here? Okay, we got, we got so we had some in the first service. I got permission in the first service to call you Coasties from real Coast Guardies people. So um, if, 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 if you are in there right now, Guy Smith is with actually I think the commander and some other people over there trying to find out how we can help more. And so here's what we have said we want to do. Ground level, what we want to do is we want to match families to families. And so, if you are someone and you would be willing, we're not asking you to take these people to raise. Okay? But we are asking you to take them to touch. And so, if you would be willing to make contact with one of these families, to cook them one meal, to take it to them, and kind of find out what other needs you could discover that they might have, we want to support that way and we will match you up with families from the Coast Guard where guys at right now trying to discover who and how we can help. Okay? So what you do is you fill out a connection card, give us your contact information and say, I want to help our Coast Guard community. 
okay? And we will, we will get you matched up to do that, okay? So here's what I would suggest you do. You fill that card out now because if you wait till I get into my message, you'll forget. The plate will get passed and you'll go, you know, the V8 thing. So, um, you know, go ahead and get that done now, okay? Okay. Now I get to preach. Finally. Here's how I want to start my message today. I want to start with this video. How about watch this, okay? After the 18th day I was created, I had a heart. During the second month, my arms, legs, and organs started to grow. At the ninth week, I learned how to suck on my thumb. And I could start to smell all <coughs> the yummy foods. I also discovered that I could make silly faces. At the fourth month, I could start to hear sounds and see light. But trust me, it was still dark in there. During the fifth month, I learned how to cry. During the 21st and 24th weeks, I started practicing breathing for my big arrival. I also started to recognize my mommy and daddy's voice during this time. At month seven, all my senses were developed. I started to hear my mommy's favorite music. And I found out my mom's favorite food was pickles. Ooh! During month eight, I doubled my size. It was starting to get really tight. At month nine, I was ready to come out and see my mommy and daddy. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them and turn to Genesis chapter 1 and just maybe want to hold them there. That We're going to get there. Uh, we're not going to jump in there immediately, but we're going to get there. Um, and I, you know, somebody, it's, it's the first page of your Bible. I made it really easy today, okay? So just page 1, you know, kind of thing. Um, now, I, I want to kind of preface where I'm going by saying this. I know that there's the possibility that some of what I'm about to say um, could be costly. It could cost our church. It could cost us members. Um, it, it could cost us financially. It could, um, it could cost us prominence in the community. Um, it could cost us new members. I know there's some of you who are signed up for our new member class that's today. And if you haven't signed up yet, you can. But I know it could cost us some new members that after you, you hear the message today, you may think, um, I need to rethink this. Uh, but a after having evaluated all of that, I, I believe it's worth the cost to press on. And so, so we're going to do that. Um, because the subject that I'm dealing with is controversial. Now, I'm not setting out to be controversial. Uh, I, that's, I just don't, I don't have that need in my life anymore. My wife will tell you that there were seasons in, in this young man's life, however, when I just, I, I love controversy. Uh, I like to be right smack dab in the middle of it. Um, but I don't find myself needing that uh, today. But the, the issue that we're dealing with um, is not singular in nature. In fact, uh, I believe that it has deeply transformed our culture on a global scale. And I believe it has moved us from a culture of life to a culture of death. I, I believe this. It has impacted the global perspective on how we treat the terminally ill, 
It has impacted how we treat the elderly. It's impacted how we treat those with uh, genetic issues and emotional challenges. I think it's impacted us globally on how we think about suicide. Um, and I, I believe this. Now, the Bible says that there's only one being that, is, uh, that, that can be omnipresent everywhere at one time, and that's God. Satan doesn't have that capacity. He can only be one place at a time. But I believe on the issue today, I believe he personally orchestrated this himself. I believe this with, with, with my whole heart. Um, and when Satan went at this issue, uh, you may think that he was coming after us, but quite frankly to him, we're disposable. We're collateral damage. We don't matter. He's not after us. He's after God. But because we... Every human being ever created on this planet bear the image of the creator God. That's why Satan has stuck his foot in this one, I believe. Um, now this is something, this issue has been warned by, to God's people. God sent warnings all throughout the Old Testament, disciplining them severely at times for sacrificing their own children. Uh, but I believe the thing that has opened this floodgate to a death culture globally is the issue of abortion. I, I believe that with my whole heart. The taking of the most vulnerable uh, of human life, the unborn. Because nobody is more helpless than a baby growing in, in a womb. And if we can, if we can kill babies in that, in that helpless state for almost no reason, we can kill anybody for almost no reason. We, we, can, we can just do that. And I know that I'm probably going to say some things that might sound hard. And I want to make sure that you understand I'm not making this stuff up. So we're going to turn to God's word. Uh, I do not believe for a second that this is a political issue. I believe it's mostly a spiritual issue. We're going to talk about that. It's actually in the Bible. And the Bible is what informs us as followers of Jesus how we approach everything in this world. And because of some of what I know I've got to say is hard to receive, I need to say it in the protection of the channels that God has given us. And the context for that has to be Jesus himself. And so I want to start not by going to Genesis, but to John chapter 3 about a statement that Jesus made about himself. In John chapter 3 verse 17, and Jesus said this, he said, he came to the world not to condemn, that his father sent him not to condemn the world, but rather to save the world from condemnation. To keep us from experiencing this life of being condemned. Now, I know that most of the propaganda out there about, about Jesus is that he's all about condemnation. And usually the world is getting that because of his followers. But quite frankly, when you look at the actual accounts of Jesus' life, you don't see condemnation, you see kindness over and over again. Jesus is not condemning, he's very, very kind. Now word on the street is that his followers are oftentimes very condemning and self-righteous and smug. And that's true sometimes, but it's not true about our Savior. It's not true about the one we serve, and it certainly shouldn't be true of those who follow him. It shouldn't be a part of the rhythm of our lives. We should be more like Jesus, who is described in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, this way. It says this, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. 
All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. That's the way Luke describes this movement around Jesus. Now, I don't have time to unpack historically all the details of this, but in Jesus' day, in his culture, a tax collector, there was, no, there was nobody more despised or despicable. We really don't have anything in our culture that kind of gets close to, to thinking about how these people were, 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 were thought about in their culture. But they had like their own, they, they weren't just sinners, they were a special class of sinners, but they got lumped with all these other sinners. So it's the tax collectors and the sinners. Now in Jesus' day, like in our day, when you use that word sinners, most people would think about this somebody who sinned. And they would have thought about that as well, but they would have also included the following. Anybody who was born lame, anybody who was born blind, any kind of birth defect whatsoever. If you were a prostitute, if you were in certain other kinds of uh, lifestyles, you would have been called a sinner. That would have been your, your characterization, your, 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 the group that you would have been put in. And in so doing, you would have been cut off from the community of worshiping God. You would have been thought of as outside of grace. You would have probably begun to think of yourself that way. You would have been cut off from the mercy of God. And you would not have been allowed to gather to worship God in the temple. You couldn't go to church, basically. You would, you would have been cut off from that. But those were the ones that were flocking to Jesus. They were the ones coming to Jesus because they didn't feel judged. They felt love. They didn't feel condemned. They felt his kindness. And this, this is just the shocking kindness of Jesus and one of the ways it displays fully the glory of God. We've talked about this before that one of, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, accounts of Jesus' life is found in John chapter 8 and the reason it's one of my favorite is because God has used it so many times to realign this broken heart of mind that gets so gummed up with condemnation at times. But in John chapter 8, you can go back and read it if you want to. I just want you to imagine the story with me again. In John chapter 8, we see this woman who is caught in the act of adultery, uh, the very act. And, and here's what happens. They're gathered in a teaching setting, kind of like this. And Jesus is teaching and he's, uh, he's, just, he's opening God's word. He's de de declaring the goodness of God. And in the back, the doors burst open. And there's this loud noise and this mob comes in and they're moving through the crowd, pushing people away. And going before them, they're shoving this half-dressed woman who, you know, I don't know how you imagine her condition, but I've never seen a mob that treated somebody like that very well. So she's probably battered and bleeding and, and, and probably screaming hysterically. And they keep shoving her forward and dragging her forward and finally get down front and they, they throw her down right in this empty space in front of Jesus. And they say, we caught this woman... We caught her in the very act of adultery. We, we, we caught her. And the law says we should kill her. Now, one of the first thoughts you should have had is, okay, this adultery thing, that's, that's a, that's a two-person deal. You know, where's the man? What's up with that? Somebody ought to be asking that question. Well, we don't see him. And there's all kind of speculation around why. We don't know. 
But Jesus' response to them saying, the law, the law says kill her. And they're standing there with big rocks ready to do just that. The law says kill her. What do you say? What, what, what do you say? So what does Jesus say? Nothing to start with. He doodles in the dirt, something. One commentator, we don't know. Nobody knows. The Bible does not tell us. There's been all kinds of speculation. One commentator I read said that Jesus started listing their sins out. And as those men were kind of around, he drew arrows pointing at each of them what their sin was. <laughs> Man, wouldn't that have been rocking, you know? Just point them out. Call them out right there. But he didn't do that. We, we don't know that. But then they pressed him again and said, the law says kill her. What do you say? And so Jesus lifted himself up from whatever he drew. You know, it could have been a unicorn. We don't know. And he, he said, okay, here's what I say. Whichever one of you has no sin, start throwing, man. Have at it. And the Bible says, I love, I love the details of Scripture. Man, when you read the Scriptures, read the details. You know? I love the, 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 the details here. Because the Bible tells us that they begin leaving one at a time, starting with the oldest, moving to the youngest. The oldest and the next oldest, and moving to the youngest. Now, I, I think there's a reason for that. And here's the truth of Why? Because when you're in your 20s, you'll never be smarter than you are right then in your whole life. <laughs> See, here's the truth about what happens as you age. You begin to find out, I really don't know everything. And man, I have said some stupid stuff in my day. And I'm basically a moron, you know. And uh, so enjoy your 20s, man. <laughs> you know, it's a great time. Um, you know, it really, really is. From the oldest to the youngest, they begin leaving. And Jesus, after they're gone, you know, there, there's been this raucous, this loudness, this craziness. And now it's probably deafening silence. Maybe except for the sniffing of, of, of the lady. And the Bible tells us that Jesus lifts her up. Now, my imagination is that he started with her face and that he lifted her chin and he looked in those tear-stained eyes that probably snotty covered face and he said where are your accusers where, where are those who condemn you I don't condemn you either Go and sin no more. There is this unbelievable, incredible kindness in this moment where Jesus touches this person who is struggling with sin. This radical kindness that we as devoted followers of Jesus should, should have. But the truth is, we can't even get this right in our own head about Jesus' kindness towards us. 
Most of us who have been following Jesus for a long, long time, we still, we still kind of go through life with this thought back here that Jesus is at least mildly disappointed in me today. At least. Not most, maybe. But at least. Jesus is mildly disappointed. We did that, that tapes runs over and over again. Folks, one of the most powerful moments, parts of that moment when he touches that lady is this. Is he gets, I mean she had, she was shameful probably that she was living this secret life. But now it's been blown up and put on display in front of everybody in a shameful condition. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus enters her shame. He gets right all up in that shame and lifts her up. He's not standing back over here. He, he, gets, he, he gets down into her shame. And he lifts her up. He picks her face up. He looks into her eyes. Because Jesus did not come to condemn. He, he didn't come to do this. He, he entered her shame. You got any idea what kind of difference it could make in your life if you would let Jesus enter your shame with you? If you, if you would just let him in because he's not judging, he's not condemning, he's not even mildly disappointed in you. He loves you. He, he, he thinks you're incredible. He steps into your struggle with you. He shows you kindness that will lead you to repentance. He's not waiting on you to repent to show you kindness. He shows you his kindness first. And if you keep paying attention to that crazy voice inside of your head, you know, I, I've been in ministry long enough to know that that tape plays. It, it's just on repeat. And there's that self-condemning message that, that, that thought that one day I'm going to get out it like this woman. It's going to blow up and I'm going to be seen for who I, who I really am in front of God. He knows. He already knows. He already sees. He already took care of it on the cross. He's, he's taking care of it. You can't, there'll never be a day when in front of, front of God you're going to get busted or outed or anything like that. that. That's already happened, man. And Jesus has lifted up your face and Jesus is lifting up your face and he's entering your shame. And you need to know that so when that stupid tape plays about he's modeled, that ain't Jesus. It has nothing to do with him. And, and so, you know, as we press into this today, you got to realize that. That was why Paul was able to write later on. Many of us love Romans chapter 8. Hoo-hoo. Baby, we love Romans chapter 8. And Paul wrote about this. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation. He, he says in Romans 8, 33, who can accuse the people of God? Because no one, God is the one who makes them right. There's no, no condemnation, no accusation. You know where Paul got this from, I think? I think he got it from what happened in John 8. I think he got told that story. Or Jesus said, there's no condemnation. See, that's, see, we've got to live out of that. And so here's part of why I say all of that is, is this. In, in our building today, there have been women who have been rescued out of the guilt and the shame and the brokenness that was brought into their lives because of abortion. There are men in our congregation who have been 
knit back together their hearts because of having paid for or funded or manipulated someone to, to have one. And they've been brought out of that darkness. But that tape's playing back there and I'm telling you that's not of God. It's not of God. And because we're touching on this issue that's sensitive, you've got to live in the framework all throughout the remainder of this message that Jesus is looking at you, lifting up your face, saying, I don't condemn you. I don't care what you've done. I don't condemn you. I'm here to save you. I'm here to rescue you from the shame and the guilt and the brokenness. I'm picking up your chin. I love you. That's the context. So as we dive in, if, if you start hearing a condemning voice, that is not the Lord God Almighty. That is not the Holy Spirit of the living God. That is the work of the enemy lying to you. Because the voice of God is going to say, let me set you free from that. Repent. Let me set you free from that. Agree with me that that's wrong, that there's a better way to live. Let me set you free from that, from that condemnation. Now, with all of that said, Open up to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26. Okay? Verse 26. We're going to look at the word of the Lord. Genesis 1 verse 26 reads this way. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. Over every creature, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he, that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on this sixth day. Now, what, what's happened here, what we see in what we just read starting in verse 26, there, there has been, there's a rhythm that's broken by verse 26. There had been this rhythm God said, let there be and there be. Let there be and there was. Let there be and it happened. Okay? Now suddenly, God is stopping and for the first time, we come to get introduced to God as he exists as the three in one. He says, let us make man in our own image. And he created a male and a female. The, the Trinity the, 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 the triune God introduces, he steps up front and fully introduces himself. And he says, we're creating man, woman in, in our image. And he, he elevated them in that passage that we read above every other created animal, told us, gave us the dominion over everything, said basically, you are more valuable to me than anything else. You have greater worth than anything else in the created order. Now, there's some things that I've noticed over the years. Kathy and I have lived in the same location for um, 35 years, going on 36. Isn't that right? She don't know. She said, don't ask me out me in front of people like this. Um, 
I think I'm right about that. Anyway, during that time, we've had a couple of dogs that were our own. Before, when I was a kid, we raised boxers and Doberman pincers, so I hung out with dogs a lot growing up. Um, we, we had a horse that lived in our backyard. It was my mom's horse for, you know, a couple of decades, it felt like. Um, we've had a lot of other people's feral cats running around in our backyard. Um, here's one of the things that I have noticed about, about the animal kingdom. They don't have the same kind of relationship with God that we have. I never had one of those animals, you know, ask me anything about prayer. Never had one want to know something about estate planning. You know, they don't think eternally like, like, like we do. You know, they don't experience guilt and shame. Now, I know some of you are going to say, Joe, you have never met my dog. I, I've caught him doing things. And he gets that hang dog look, that little hang dog. Folks, you have confused fear with shame. That dog is scared you're going to wipe him with the paper. He is not, he, that's not shame. He doesn't have that kind of moral capacity to experience shame. He's, he's afraid. Yeah. I mean, he ain't, he, he's not completely stupid. He's got instincts. So, he, he, he's afraid. But that hangdog look is just that. It's fear. Somewhere along the line in his training, you put the fear of you in him. You know? And, and, and he responds that way. But, but people are different. People, you know, human beings seek after God. And God seeks after them. And, and humanity is the only creation that kind of bears both the weight and the joy and beauty of that. And, and we even get this morally. We, we understand this on a moral level. How many of you have ever, you know, maybe been watching like a National Geographic special and the, the lion is hunting the little baby antelope? He runs after it and, and, you, and you can't stop watching it, you know. You can't change the channel. And he, he pounces on it and he's ripping it to shreds. You know, entrails are everywhere. You know what you'll never see happen? Or at least I've never seen it happen. I've never seen anybody on the TV crew that's filming this call 911. And say, we got an out of control lion up here, up in the jungle here. You need to get down here. Because we know morally that's lion being a lion. You know, antelope being an antelope. But I tell you what you do. You walk outside in our parking lot after the service. And you rear back and you just nail somebody in the face. 911 going to get dialed. The police are showing up. And you're going to jail. Because morally we know that's wrong. It's different. There's something different about this because humans are different than animals. That's, that's just the reality there because we've been made, we, we were created in the image of God. Now, that does not mean we have a license to be cruel to other in the created order, to treat animals harshly. We've been given dominion and we're supposed to steward that well, to manage all of that well. 
But only human beings have been created in the image of God. Dallas Willard says this. Many of you know that I think Dallas has done the best writing and teaching, at least while I've been alive at the same time as someone. And he's the, he's the smartest person I've ever been in a room with, I think. Uh, it's just a brilliant mind. He said this about our eternity. He said, we are all of us never ceasing spiritual beings of immeasurable worth with a unique eternal calling to count for good in God's great universe. We were created to reign with God over all creation in mutual, mutually collaborative and creative governance. You were created to rule and reign with God. Nothing else has been. Now, in light of being made in the image of God, it's important to know when did that happen? Where exactly did this image-bearing transfer take place? Well, according to the Bible, it took place in your mother's womb. Juliana did such a wonderful job reading to us from Psalm 139 earlier. It's, it, that's a beautiful poetry. I, I love that passage of Scripture. It's just, just incredible. And what we read there is about the moral and spiritual and physical components that we alone possess. That God is actively weaving together. Now, let me say this about us Christians. If you're, if you're here and you're kind of skeptical about us, um, we, we took biology 101 as well. You know, we're not idiots. We, we get biology. We know how babies are made. We, we know why they cry, you know. It's a beautiful thing. We, we get this. We, we, we don't think for a minute that what's going to happen is you're going to take an ultrasound and see the Holy Spirit in there with knitting needles. Just because it says he knit us, we don't, we don't think that way, okay? We understand the biology here. But what we're saying is, we know that what God is doing is he's accomplishing his good purpose. And he created us as we are uniquely with personalities, with our height, or lack thereof. He, he's created all of that for his good pleasure, to bring him glory out of, out of all of that. And the Bible is declaring the, the spiritual reality behind all of this is tied to the sovereignty of God for your life, for, for what he's going to be doing. And I love this passage so much because if you want to talk about God being intimately involved, man, he's, he's right there. He, he's doing the work of your personality and your physical traits in your mother's womb. And it's all important to his perfect plan. Yes, there's biology. Yes, there's genetics. Yes, there's family of origin stuff. All of that. But there's something spiritual behind it. Now, if we, if we get that these spiritual aspects that were made in the image of God, God's word declares about this happening in our mother's womb at the moment of conception. There are several passages that do that. I'm just going to pull out one today. If you need more, Email me and I'll send you some more. But Psalm 51.5 really gets at this really, really quickly. And this is David writing. And he writes these words in verse 5 as we understand it. He, David writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, let's pause there for a second. This is not David slamming your mama. You know, he's not saying your mama was a floozy. Um, do y'all use that word anymore? Anybody else use floozy? Some people still use food. Okay. We're going to bring that word back. No, we're not. We're not going to do that. I'm sorry. I don't know why I went there. See, what this, what this verse is saying is God was there at conception. He, he was there in that moment. 
And that's when spiritually your soul was created. You were created in the image of God in that moment. That your, your humanness, your essence was created in the moment of conception in your, in your mother's womb. Now here's, here's what this particular verse is saying about this. When you were created because you were conceived in a broken fallen world, you have a bent away from God. You're not bent towards God. You're bent away from God. Let me prove it. How many of you have ever had a two-year-old live in your house? I know some of you wives are saying, that was my husband yesterday. No. (laughs) You don't have to point a child to rebellion. That's That's what the psalmist is saying here, you know. That's what's going on here. There's something spiritual going on here. There's even this, we're created in the image of God, but immediately the rebellion begins. Right there, right there at conception. And he's saying all of this moral movement, all of this humanness, this essence is being poured out right there. It's happening in the moment of conception where the image of God is formed. Now, with all of that said, how do we as Christians, how do we as followers of Christ face the death culture that we find ourselves in? Because what we know is true. And as Christ far as we say, this is true and we've seen it in our culture. We've seen it in our day. We've seen it over the past year in 2018. A million little baby boys and girls were sucked, ripped, from their mother's wombs in what can only, only be described ultimately as murder. Now hold on. Jesus isn't condemning anybody for that. Jesus is lifting up faces right now. He's getting in your shame. So, so don't hear that without hearing Jesus lifting up your face. And looking at you in the eye and say, that condemnation that you're living in, not me. I'm not condemning you. Where are your condemn? Who could condemn you when God won't? I'm here for you. I'm entering in with you. And there are people in this room who will enter in with you. Where, Where are your accusers? Friends, here's what we got to grab hold of. There is so much demonic blindness around this issue that we have got to face the reality of, of, of the evil one. And somehow we've got it in our heads that we're the first generation in history that have, have killed babies. Folks, this demonic thing has gone on in every civilization in humanity. You go back and study your history, just do a cursory study. I can't, I don't have time to do that today. But you study every human civilization that has ever existed. And there has been a time where life has been attacked. And it always goes after the littlest and most vulnerable first. And that is the, 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 the activity of the enemy of our souls. It's demonic in nature. We just think we live in a more civilized version of that now. But here's, here's what we do know. Even, even if you're here and you don't look to God's word as a source of authority in your life, we can just look at science. The, the, the video kind of pointed this out, you know, that, that we saw. At eight weeks old, a baby 
is sucking its thumb. At eight weeks old, because this, this happens, a doctor will take a needle and go inside the womb and prick a baby's heel to get some DNA and the baby will withdraw its leg because of the pain. It will pull back because it is experiencing pain from, from a heel prick. I don't know how many of you remember about two years ago a, a study came out that said lobsters being boiled experience pain. And in Europe, especially in Switzerland, there, there was this great movement that broke out to stop the boiling of live lobsters. Okay? Let's don't treat crustaceans that way. Now this is in a country where it is legal to have a late-term abortion. To, to, to kill a baby when it is viable outside of its mother's womb. Crustaceans are babies. You know, it, it's just, there's spiritual blindness around this. It, it's, it's, it's insanity. Now, some of you say, yeah, that sounds like the Swiss. State of South Carolina. How many of you have ever rented a beach house? Been at a beach house or something like that? There are these things on the beach called sea turtle eggs. Unborn sea turtles. And I'm told, it hasn't happened to me, but I'm told if you leave your porch light on during sea turtle egg season, they will mob you. They're coming after you because them sea turtle eggs are precious. I'm not knocking sea turtles. I love sea turtles. I think they're awesome. But there's this argument that exists that it's not, it's not a baby, it's the woman's body. It's in the womb. It's not a baby yet. Did you know that sea turtle eggs were more protected in the state of South Carolina than babies in a mother's womb? It's crazy. It's just crazy. It's irrational. It, it, it doesn't make sense. So, see, friends, this is why I know this is so demonic. There, there's so much evil in here. This, this, is, this is spiritual in nature. And, and we've, got, we've got to understand that. See, according to the Bible, at the moment of conception, a, a, and science tells us this, a completely new strand of DNA that has never existed before suddenly exists. It's not the mama's DNA. It's not the, the daddy's DNA. It's the baby's DNA. And as that DNA forms into this child more fully, that, the, the body becomes its own. And its heart starts beating. Not the mama's heart, the baby's heart. And the kidneys start flushing its own fluid. Not the mama's kidneys, the baby's kidneys. And, and on and, and on this goes. Because it's, it's a person. You, you know, people say it, it, it's the woman's body. We can't legislate what people do with their bodies. Is prostitution legal? Not here, it ain't. Can you, can you throw your clothes off in the Walmart parking lot and run around? With your body? No. You cannot. It's illegal. There are all kinds of laws about our bodies and what we can and, and can't do with our bodies. That, and, and, you know, we say that. Do you know that 
if a woman is driving to a clinic to end her pregnancy, as she would probably say, take this life, she gets two blocks away from it. If she's sides, someone hits her in the side who was texting and the, the child is killed in that accident, that driver of that car will be charged with manslaughter. Whereas if a two-second difference is she'd have made it through the intersection and had gone to the clinic and had the abortion, that'd be all neat and tidy and legal. So it's, it is so unbelievably insane that it is, it is demonic. It's not political. And I need to say this about the politics side of this. I, I'm, I've read this, this, this just brought my attention to it. I, I didn't think this on my own, not that smart. If we're not careful in the evangelical Christian community, if we keep attaching what are biblical, Christ-centered issues to a political campaign, it will eventually bite us in the butt and take away our moral authority on everything. This is not a political issue. It is not a party thing. It's a Jesus thing. And, and we, we, gotta, we gotta watch this. Because it's crazy out there. Three days after you and I celebrated the birth of our Savior as a beautiful baby come to this earth, God himself in the flesh to dwell among us. Three days after we celebrated that this year, do, do any of y'all know who Amelia Bono is? Amelia Bono? She's not related to the, the rock singer. Amelia Bono appeared three days after our celebration of the birth of Christ this year. She appeared on this kids TV show on YouTube called Kids Meet. And it's this kind of show where kids meet all kinds of different people. Like one of them was kids met a bank robber. It's kind of strange stuff. Um, this particular episode on Kids Meet, these kids met a woman who had an abortion, uh, Amelia Bono. And they got to ask her questions and she talked about her abortion. Now some of you may recognize her if I remind you, um, there's this movement out there. Can you bring up that slide? I don't know if you know about this movement, it's called hashtag shout your abortion. And here's what's gone on. Not, not only is it legal, but now it is becoming more than just cult culturally accepted. It is, it is becoming, hey, you ought to do this. And they're, they're talking about convincing young girls now that they should have one if something ever happens. Not that when you, in that moment, you start thinking about the reality of it, but you go, go ahead and predetermine that if, if you get pregnant, it's inconvenient, have one. And so she's on this, this show with kids and she's talking to these two middle school girls and here's what she tells them when they ask her what was it like. She says, have you ever been to the dentist and had a crappy experience? And they said, yeah. She said, it's like that. It's like that. On September 19th of 2015, she went, she went on to social media um, because she was trying to fight back against uh, people who were trying to defund Planned Parenthood. Um, and she, uh, she, she went and said, oh, my experience there was beautiful. 
She talked about the beauty of it. There was no shame. There was no regret. And she launched this shout out your abortion movement. And when I read about that and then went online and looked at it, I, I thought about a passage of scripture that my mother-in-law popularized with her girls and my wife, one of her daughters, popularized with our daughter. And it's Philippians chapter 3 verse 19. Here's what it says. It's coming up on the screen. Their future is eternal loss. For their God is their appetite. They are proud of what they should be ashamed of and all they think about is life on earth. Now, Man, I'll just be honest with you. I was ticked off at Amelia to start with. I, I was angry at Amelia. And there should be a place that we um, have righteous indignation against somebody who's trying to warp the minds of children. Jesus was. You know, he, he was pretty clear about his thoughts about those who would harm, harm children. There should be some righteous indignation. But you and I have got to see Jesus facing Amelia and lifting up her chin. And saying, Amelia, I don't condemn you, dear. Because my guess is about the only activity that Amelia has had from the Christian community is condemnation. My guess, probably the only. I'm not saying we shouldn't, there shouldn't be an outcry. But I'm saying somebody who's a follower of Jesus needs to look her in the eye and say, Jesus doesn't condemn you, Amelia. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. So you don't have to live with this false hiddenness of no shame. That, that, that he wants to take all of this on for you. So how, how do we do this? How do we get down in the dust? How do we get down there in, in, in shame on this issue? What, what do we do? Well, I want, I, want to, I want to give you real quickly, this is going to move quickly. I want to give you quickly kind of a spiritual side of this and a physical side of this. Just a couple of things. The first thing that we need to do is we need to repent. If, if, if you have had an abortion, if you have promoted it to someone else, if you paid for it, we need to repent. And repentance simply means I come to Jesus so he'll lift my chin. That's what it means. I come to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is killing me. And Jesus says, I know. I love you. I forgive you. And you say, Jesus, I, don't, I, don't, I want to live with you. I don't want to live this way anymore. And Jesus said, I'm yours. Come on. That's what repentance looks like around this issue. Is we, we agree with God it was wrong. And we, we choose life now in, in, in Jesus Christ. And if, if you've supported it, if you are a man who supported it or encouraged it or manipulated it, you, you repent. And if you're a Christ follower who never had anything to do with that on either end, but you have been condemning, you repent. You repent. Repentance is a starting place spiritually for all of us. And then we pray. We, we, we dig in and we pray. I went on the city before, sometime earlier this morning, and put on a 21-day guide to post, a, to help us think how to do this. And you can email me if, if you'd rather get it through email. You can actually go on um, and get a, a tw the app for this. Um, it's a 21-day praying plan for this. I'm going to start it on Tuesday. Tuesday's the 46th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision. And I'm going to start my 21 days of praying for life um, on Tuesday. And I would invite you to join me. You can use the same prayer guide that I'm, I'm praying through. But we've got to pray that God would bring us to the place where we say, I don't accuse you. We lift up people's heads. We look into their faces. We empathize. We're filled with compassion. That, that's, that's what we do. We, we pray. We, we pray for our government leaders because 
for the most part, in some way, some, some get it, but some are clueless. They think it's about political jockeying. And, and we've got to move past that. And, and then we've got to understand the fullness of what it means to be pro-life. Pro-life doesn't just mean for the unborn. It means for the elderly. It means for the, those who have physical and emotional challenges. It, it, it means for, uh, uh, for the immigrant. It, it's, we, we care about everybody's life. It, it goes beyond right. We care about everybody's life. We, are, we really are truly pro-life. We care for the sick. We care for the poor. We care about life. Everybody's made in God's image. We, we, we even seek to love those who would attack us. We got, we got to take this out of the hands of politics and realize it's about God's human design. It's about, it's about him and it's about us in his image. And then there are some things that we can do physically, physically. And here's what I would tell you that you need to do physically first. Physically, you need to ask God to give you the capacity to love better, to love more, to increase our love capacity because love involves action and getting involved. Love, love, love engages. It does, it's not theoretical. Love doesn't just write a paycheck, although paychecks help organizations like Low Country Pregnancy Center. But it, 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 it's a life thing. We, we have to put our life in this. We have to stop thinking that every abortion is only for convenience. We have to know that there are 14-year-old girls who have been molested by a family member who are trapped in poverty and they think this is their only way out. And we've got to come alongside them and embrace them and bring them into our lives and into our church and we've got to love them. And we've got to support them through this pregnancy. And we've got to help them find whether it's adoption or whatever. We've got to help. And, and maybe what we need to do is we need to come alongside and help support th those families that uh, you, are, are adopting. Uh, those families who are working with children who have been abandoned. There, there are things that we need to do. We, we, we can get involved this way. You can get involved with the Low Country Crisis Pregnancy Center. Can you bring that slide up? Uh, Carrie McGinnis is the volunteer coordinator. You can call Carrie. You can talk to Liddy who was in here. Liddy, are you still here? Liddy's still back there. She'll be glad to talk with you about volunteering, about getting connected. There's, a, there's an organization in Charleston. It's, it's national, but there is a local chapter in Charleston. Can you bring that next slide up? Young Lives, Dana Martin. This is a high school campus movement of supporting girls who have children, who have babies, who are in high school. And they're looking for mentors. And you can contact Dana about getting, getting involved there and engaging. There, there are lots of ways. We have a foster parent support group that meets here. You can show up and try to figure out how do I encourage, how do I encourage that? Or maybe you want to become a foster parent. Maybe, maybe that's the movement. But we've got to step into places where the world's not stepping. But we, that starts by increasing our love. Coming at these issues with kindness and a kind heart, not combative. Now, there are other ways, but those are just a few. You can, you can talk to one another. You can get on, you know, social media. There are lots of ways to get involved. But I just want to challenge us again. This is a Jesus issue, not a political party issue. And we, we got to be clear on that. It's about Jesus here. This has, this has absolutely everything with Jesus' message that he came to bring good news that God, you matter to God to the poor. 
financially poor and poor in spirit. And we've got to be clear about that. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.